0: You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit GoCentralChurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and meet me in the book of Habakkuk book of Habakkuk is where uh, we will be. And as you turn there, uh, let me just say happy July 4th weekend uh, to you. Uh, I'm grateful that we live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Um, And, uh, you know, Pastor Reed said just a minute ago that we are for our neighbors and the nation's. Uh, and one of the things I've been reminded of this morning is uh, that the freedoms that we enjoy uh, are not enjoyed by all of the nations of the earth. And so uh, this morning, just a little bit later, you'll have the uh, the opportunity to hear from one of our mission partners, uh, Pastor Joshua Bashmi, who's here uh, from India. And as we were talking, I was reminded that even as we get to celebrate uh, today, we get to celebrate uh, the freedoms that we have, uh, we also need to be reminded to pray for the nations, right? That don't... Uh, that, are worshiping today, not with the freedom that we have, uh, but uh, maybe in fear or uh, in discouragement. And so uh, we want to keep that always in front of us. Uh, So uh, the book of Habakkuk is where uh, we will be together this morning. Um, If this is your first time with us or your first time with us in a while, uh, one of the things that we're doing on Sunday mornings is we're walking through this series. We're calling it Summer in the Miners. Uh, And we are taking each week, looking at one of the minor prophets, uh, and we are just trying to see what is the Lord's Lord saying to his people? What is the Lord saying to his people? In the book, what's he saying to us today? How does this apply to our life? And so uh, this morning, we're going to zero in on uh, Habakkuk, who is a small uh, prophet uh, and maybe not a well-known prophet to you. Uh, Now, when we think about the minor prophets, one of the things that we want to keep in front of us is that the reason that these books are called the minor prophets is not because their messages uh, are less important than the major prophets like Isaiah or or Jeremiah. The reason that these prophets are called minor prophets is simply because they are short books, right? uh, Their length is minor compared uh, to some of the other books. And so uh, as we look here at Habakkuk, I want you to think about this question. Uh, Questioning God is easy, but is it right? Questioning God is easy, but is it right? Uh, So when life is difficult, when when circumstances seem to change, when when life feels like it's turning upside down, it's easy to question God. but, But the question we need to ask ourselves is, is it right to question God? Is it okay, is it acceptable uh, to question what God is doing in His plan for the world? Well, as we look here at the book of Habakkuk, we're going to see the answer to this question. I'm going to go ahead and kind of show my cards up front. Is it right to question God? Well, my answer is it depends, right? Uh, it, it depends on uh, how you are doing it and, the, and what you are doing, the, the way that you are doing. And so uh, we're going to see... Some things about questioning God here in the book of Habakkuk. And so as we look at this book, as we look at the book of Habakkuk, we're going to see this truth, that we may not always understand God's plan, but we can always trust that it is good. We may not always understand God's plan, but we can always trust that it is good. Now, we need to make sure that we understand something here, that it's not that most of the time God's plan is good. It's not that sometimes God's plan is good. It's not that that 99.9% of the time God's plan is good. No, the truth of the Bible, and not just the truth of the Bible, but the truth of life, that we, as we follow Jesus, we will come to see how true it is, is that God's plan is always good. And so, uh, look with me, if you would, here at Habakkuk chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Let me invite you to stand uh, as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word uh, here in Habakkuk chapter 1. The Spirit says to us this morning, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. This is God's word. You can be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. Father, thank you that we can come and we can gather together this morning freely to worship you, to to lift up your name. But Father, even as we do that, we want to be reminded of brothers and sisters gathering around the world each and every week to do the exact same thing that we're doing, to to sing your praise and to look at your word, but uh, who do it in fear or who do it under threat of persecution. Father, we pray that you would encourage those brothers and sisters. Father, we pray that you would be with them, and Lord, we pray that you would be with us now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we look here at the book of Habakkuk, we're going to see three truths to remember when life seems upside down. Three truths to remember when life seems upside down. The first truth is this, is that God is not afraid of our questions. God is not afraid of our questions. Our questions do not scare God. Now, here's what we need to understand is that He's not afraid of our questions, but He's under no obligation to answer our questions on our timeline. He's under no obligation to answer our questions even in the way that we might want or in the way that we might expect. But know this, that He's not afraid of the questions. When we look here at the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is really a book. He's really a prophet of questions. Now, one of the things that makes Habakkuk unique here among the rest of the 12 minor prophets is that this book is really a dialogue between Habakkuk and Yahweh. It's a dialogue between Habakkuk and God, and so Habakkuk is going to observe the world around him, and then he's going to ask some questions about what is happening, and then the Lord is going to answer his questions, and then Habakkuk is going to say, no, I don't like that answer. I don't like that. What about this? Why are you going to do that? And then the Lord is patiently going to answer that question. And what we're going to see at the end of the book of Habakkuk is Habakkuk is going to come to a place where he is essentially going to say, Lord, I might not understand, but I trust that you're good. Lord, I might not understand, but I trust that you are strong and you are right and you are holy. And so I'm going to trust. And so as we look here, we see that God is not afraid of our questions. Now, one of the things that I love about Habakkuk, and one of the things that I love about the Bible, is that the Bible does not present life, and especially the life of faith, as something neat and simple and easy, right? We know that life in a fallen world is anything but neat and simple. And so here in the book of Habakkuk, we get a picture of real life. We get a picture of real questions that you and I either have asked or will ask at some point in our life. One commentator that I was reading this week, he said that really Habakkuk is the most practical and the most applicable book in all of the Old Testament. Because he teaches us how do we live in the tension of God being holy and yet sin still existing. How do we live in the world where God is just, And yet, sin continues to move seemingly unchecked. These are the issues and the topics that Habakkuk is going to deal with. Now, we don't know much about Habakkuk the prophet. We know through some clues here in the book that he was writing roughly around the same time as Jeremiah, and, and most scholars think that he was probably writing around 10 years after Nahum. And so he's writing to Judah, he's writing to the southern kingdom, and one of the things that's important to know about Habakkuk is it appears that he is intimately familiar with the Psalms. It appears that he's intimately familiar with the way that temple worship would happen. And so all of chapter 3 is really just a psalm. It's a song and it's a prayer of Habakkuk responding to what he has learned and to what he has been told in chapters 1 and in chapter 2. And so this book begins with a question. We've already read uh, these verses, but look with me at verse 2 again. Look at these questions that Habakkuk is going to ask. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? And so we get this picture here in verse 2 that this is not a new prayer. This is not a new petition. These are not new questions that Habakkuk is asking, right? How long am I going to keep crying for help and you're not going to answer? Or I'm going to point out violence and you're not going to save. Look at verse 3. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Lord, why do you make me see all of this sin, and yet, Lord, it appears as if you don't care, is what Habakkuk is saying here. He says, destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Then in verse 4, he says, God, even your law isn't doing anything. He says, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. The, the wicked surround the righteous, and so justice goes forth perverted. And so he's asking these questions that really are summarized by, well, why does the Lord allow injustice among his people? He sees violence all around, and it appears as if the Lord isn't doing anything to stop it. It, it appears as if the Lord isn't doing anything to intervene. We get this picture here in Habakkuk that the society of Judah was really in some kind of moral decay. It was really in some kind of moral rot. You know, Pastor Josh said right before we read those verses from the Psalms that we live in a day where we call wrong right and right wrong oftentimes. See, our day really isn't that much different than Habakkuk's, is it? Rather, right, we see violence all around, we see strife, it, it seems like justice never happens. There's strife, there's contention, the, the law isn't, isn't doing anything. And so that's why he asked this question in verse 2. How long do I have to cry for help and you will not hear? Now as we'll see here in just a minute, the Lord is going to answer Habakkuk. And the way he's going to answer him is he's going to promise to judge Judah. And he's not just going to promise to judge Judah, but he's going to get very, very specific in the way he's going to do it. He promises that he's going to judge Judah with the Chaldeans. Now, the Chaldeans, that's another name for the Babylonians. That These people, just like the Ninevites who were known for their cruelty, j- just like the Assyrians who, who were known for uh, their evil, the Babylonians were the only ones who were strong enough, the only ones who were powerful enough, the only ones who were great enough to destroy the Assyrians. And now the Lord says, Habakkuk, all those questions you just asked, the Babylonians are coming. Now I'm going to use the Babylonians to judge Judah. And then Habakkuk suddenly gets more confused. And, and he starts asking more questions. If we were to keep reading, we would go into chapter 2 and we would see where Habakkuk essentially says, Lord, I want you to handle our sin, but you don't have to do it that way, right? Right? Lord, I, I want you to, to handle what's happening here, but, but you, don't have to, you don't have to use the Babylonians, right? Maybe you could use someone else that's a little less vicious or a little less violent. Or, or maybe you could just aim your judgment at one or two people or, or just at this group or at that group. God, please don't do that. And so he asks another question. Now, what's interesting here is we look at Habakkuk 1 and Habakkuk 2 is the Lord never chastises Habakkuk for asking the question. The Lord never goes to Habakkuk and says, I can't believe you would do that. Right? He, he, he never goes to Habakkuk and he never says, why are you asking me these questions? I, I, don't, I don't have to answer your questions. I, I'm under no commitment to answer what you have to say. He, he doesn't say that. Instead, his answers are laced with grace because... Know this, he isn't afraid of the questions. But see, there's a right way and there's a wrong way to ask questions. Habakkuk asks his questions here in just these few verses that we've looked at. He asks his questions, and his questions are rooted in God's character right? It's rooted in his holiness and in his justice and in his perfection. But, but if you compare that with, uh, let's say, the questions of Job, if you were to flip back to the book of Job, Job asked some questions, and instead of answering his questions, do you remember what the Lord says? He says, gird your loins and prepare for battle like a man. In other words, he says, put on your big boy pants if you're going to bring those questions to me, Right? And the reason the Lord does that is because Job's questions and the questions of his friends, they're rooted in Job. They're rooted in what Job wants and in Job's comfort and in Job's plan and in Job's desires. But Habakkuk's questions are rooted in who God is and what God is like. And so if we are going to question God, if we're going to answer that question, is it right? Is it okay to question God. There's a wrong way and there's a right way to question God. There's a way to question God in faith, right? There's a way to say, Lord, I know you're good. I know you're holy. I know you're righteous, but God, I don't understand what's happening. I I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand why this is going on. The wrong way is to say, God, do you really know what you're doing? God, are you really good? Uh, Are you really near? Do you really care? See, the Lord answers the questions of those who are willing to listen. There's a, a wrong way to ask questions. See, sometimes we're tempted to ask questions of the Lord the way a reporter might ask a question of a press secretary. We're not trying to get an answer. We're trying to prove a point right? God, I I don't deserve this. God, I I am a good person. Why am I suffering, but they're flourishing? Why am I dealing with this, but everything seems to be going good for those who who hate you, for those who who don't love you, for those who, who don't seem to follow you? See, the Lord is not afraid of our questions. We've got to make sure that we're asking the right questions in the right ways. See, Habakkuk Habakkuk could ask his questions the way he did because he knew this. This is the second truth to remember when life seems upside down, that God's plan is always good. See, Habakkuk has some questions about God's plan, and and if you've followed Jesus for any amount of time, then, then you probably get it you probably understand his urge to to want to ask some questions and want to to find some answers. And Habakkuk isn't the only place that we see questions asked. If we were to flip over to the Psalms, we could almost just flip to, to any page in the Psalms and drop our finger and find a question from the psalmist, right? How long, O Lord? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Habakkuk isn't the only place that we see questions asked, but what's different from Habakkuk and the rest of the, the scriptures is that Habakkuk is the only place where we see the Lord audibly answer. And so look with me at verse 5 of chapter 1. Habakkuk is just asked these questions, Lord, how, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? And then in verse 5, he says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Now, you read that and you think, come on, I want some of that, right? You're going to do a work that I wouldn't believe if told? Man, I want some of that. I've seen this verse plastered on things, right? As an encouragement that that God is doing something that we cannot believe, right? That, That if we just trust in faith, then God is going to do something that is going to be really, really good. So you have to believe that at this point, I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told that Habakkuk is getting excited. But listen to verse 6. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose might is their God. So the Lord tells Habakkuk, I'm going to do something that you wouldn't believe even if I told you. You've got to believe that Habakkuk is saying, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm ready for that. And the Lord says, Habakkuk, the way that I'm going to answer your question, the way that I'm going to answer your plea for help is I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans to invade. And what Habakkuk knew is that the Chaldeans were not friendly people. I mean, look at the way they're described just in this passage. Bitter and hasty, seas, dwellings, they are dreaded and fearsome. Their horses are swifter than leopards. They're more fierce than wolves. They press on. They they fly like an eagle, swift to devour. See, the Lord is going to do what Habakkuk wants, He's just not going to do it in Habakkuk's way. See, the, the Lord's going to do exactly what Habakkuk was praying for. But he was going to do it in a way that Habakkuk wasn't prepared for. See, the Lord's under no obligation to work according to my plan or your plan. And what happens is this, this leads to more questions for Habakkuk. Flip over to chapter 2. The Lord has just told Habakkuk, hey, I am going to judge you and I'm gonna judge Judah with the Chaldeans. And then Habakkuk asked some more questions there at the end of verse one or chapter one where he's saying, God, are you sure? Are you sure that's what you're gonna do? And look at chapter two, look at verse two. And the Lord answered me. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. So in other words, Just like Moses was to write the Ten Commandments on the tablets, what's happening here is the Lord is telling Habakkuk, write this down because it's going to be good, right? Write this down. Take notes. You need to know this. Verse 3 says, For still the vision who awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. This is the Lord saying that it's going to happen. Then in verse 4, Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him. So he's talking there about the Chaldeans, basically saying that they're arrogant. Then verse 4, this second half of verse 4 is the most quoted verse from Habakkuk in the New Testament. But the righteous shall live by faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as shield. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all Peoples. See, in verse 4, he says that these Chaldeans that are coming, that that they're arrogant, that they're ruthless, but they're arrogant. The Lord isn't saying that he's raising up the Chaldeans because they're righteous. He's saying he's raising up the Chaldeans because here's the thing: Judah was really no different than the Chaldeans. Right? They were both guilty. And then there in the middle of verse 4, he draws this distinction between the Chaldeans and the righteous. The righteous shall live by faith. Now, if you were to go to Romans chapter 1, verse 17, you you would find Paul quoting this passage. Or or Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, you, you would find Paul quoting this passage again. Or Hebrews chapter 10, verses 37 and 38, you would find the author of Hebrews quoting this passage again. And in every case, what they're saying, they're saying this faith, that the righteous shall live by faith, that this faith is what makes us right with God. And so even here, what the New Testament has done is it's interpreted this passage for us, and it's showing that God is pleased with those who live by faith, right? Not like the Chaldeans and not even like the Israelites, but, but those who live by faith. See, Habakkuk is going to get what he wants, just not according to his plan. He's just like God to do that, isn't it? It's just like God for us to pray for something and for Him to answer that prayer, but to answer it in a way that we do not expect. He he answers our prayers just not on our schedule or in ways that we could imagine. Let me tell you about one of those prayers in my life. In 2019, uh, I uh, I was going into what I didn't know at the time was going to be the roughest season of ministry that I had ever experienced. And I got invited to a conference uh, at, uh, it was called Sharper, at this church called Central in Sanford. Uh, I didn't know anything about this church. And so I came to, uh, I came to this conference here at Central and, and I sat right back there about three quarters of the way on uh, that short pew back there. And about halfway through the conference, I, I prayed and I said, Lord, I would love to just get to serve at a church like Central one day. Uh, and I left that conference and I would love to tell you that I left that conference and the Lord had audibly spoken and said, Ethan, not only are you going to get to be a pastor at Central, you're going to get to be the, the senior pastor, the lead pastor at Central one day. That's not what happened. I, instead, I left that conference and for the next year walked through the deepest, darkest valley of my life, walked through the deepest, hardest season of ministry and family that I had walked through up to that point. Then the Lord brought us here. It's not the the story that I would have written, but it was good and it was right. But but here's the thing. You don't always get the answer you're looking for like that. There are prayers that I've prayed, deep, heart-level prayers that either the Lord has said no to, or I'm still waiting for the answer. But understand this, the most loving thing God can do is to answer our prayers according to His plan and His wisdom, not according to our plan and our wisdom. Some of the greatest evidences of God's grace in my life are the prayers that he has not answered. Or are the prayers that he has said no to. I think about some of the prayers that I've prayed over the years. And when I think about those prayers, all I can do is say, Lord, thank you for saving me from my stupidity. Right? Lord, thank you for saving me from that prayer that I prayed. So you might be dealing with a prayer that you've been praying right now. And you've been begging the Lord to answer that prayer in a certain way. But maybe the most loving thing that God can do for you today is to say no. Maybe the most loving thing that God can do for you today is to not give you what you want. Because here's the thing. God's plan is always better than our plan. And here's what we know. When the Lord says no to that prayer, that's good news for us because the Bible says that he works all things together for good for those who love him. So the Lord is never, if you're following him, if you're looking to him, the Lord is never working for your bad. If you belong to Jesus, that means that, that that struggle that you're walking through, that, that suffering that you're experiencing right now, that, that is not the Lord working for your bad. That is the Lord working for your good. Because in his mystery, right, in his divine providence, in his plan, he has deemed, he has determined that the best way for you to look like Jesus is to walk through that. And, and that that we might not understand all of that right now. But here's the thing. When we are seated around the throne 10 billion years from now, we're going to know that it was worth it. See, Paul tells us in Romans 8, right, that this present suffering isn't to be compared with the glory that is coming to us. See, that's the glory that Jesus has won for us. That's the glory that Jesus is won for you. That's the glory that is ours by faith. And so as we look here at Habakkuk, we're reminded that, that God isn't afraid of our questions and that He is always good. And finally, the last truth to remember when life feels upside down is this, is that God is always worthy of worship. Now, the book of Habakkuk ends with a psalm. Flip over to, to chapter 3. Now, we might expect this psalm to be where all the pieces come together. We might expect for this psalm to be where Habakkuk says, okay, Lord, I finally get it. I finally see your plan. I I finally see what's happening. But he's clear that, that he doesn't really get it. He doesn't understand what the Lord is going to do, but he still trusts him chapter 3 is a psalm with all that we're accustomed to seeing in the psalms. Verse 1 is the title. There's Selah scattered through it. It ends with musical instructions for the choir master. But what's remarkable is the the last few verses of this psalm. This whole song is a prayer and confession of God's glory and His strength. And and Habakkuk has just heard, hey, Judah's going to be judged. Bad things are coming But it's going to be okay in the end. And so he is amazed by who God is and by what God can do. See, this is the right response to encountering God. No one encounters God and remains the same. No one encounters God and walks away unchanged. And so Habakkuk has just encountered God. He's just heard God's plan from the mouth of God. And he ends his prayer, he ends his song of response this way. Look at verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My, my legs tremble beneath me. And so here in verse 16, Habakkuk is saying that he's just heard God's plan and he, he doesn't understand. He, in fact, he's nervous, right? He's he's scared about what God's plan is going to look like when it's executed. But look at the end of verse 16 yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. He says, I know that this invasion is going to happen. I don't fully understand the plan, but God, I trust that you are good and that you are right and that you are holy. See, Habakkuk has been promised that the Chaldeans are going to come and they're going to judge Judah. And then the answer to the second question is the Lord, in chapter 2, he pronounces these woe oracles. So he pronounces judgment, essentially, on the Chaldeans, on the Babylonians. And so Habakkuk, responding to that, he says, God, I'm going to quietly wait for the day of trouble, or what we've seen sprinkled through the rest of the minor prophets, the day of the Lord, to come upon the people who invade us. Now look at verse 17. We might expect here to read that Habakkuk's looking forward to the day when the crops come back and the livestock flourish, but that's not what he says. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deers to. He makes me tread on my high places." See, Habakkuk's going to worship even when famine hits and the livestock are gone. In this he's going to rejoice in the Lord. In verse 19, he says that his strength comes from the Lord. See, Habakkuk can worship in famine because he knows this. He knows that famine doesn't have the last word. He he can worship in the face of coming invasion from the Chaldeans because he knows that struggle isn't the end of the story. His strength is from God, not in his circumstances, and so he can worship. See, here's the truth circumstances often lie to us. They tempt us to believe that because we're suffering, then God must not love us, or that God is not in control, or that he must be distant. Or, a more insidious form of this lie is our circumstances tell us that when life is good, that means God is happy with me. When I'm flourishing, that means that God is okay with me. But what have we seen all through the Minor Prophets? That flourishing doesn't mean blessing, right? Flourishing doesn't necessarily mean favor from God. But we're tempted to believe that whenever we suffer, then it must be that God's not in control or, or He doesn't love me or He must be distant. And yet none of that is true. See, in Habakkuk, it is because God is near in the suffering that He has hope. And that's the, what's true for us as well. That our suffering, we don't suffer alone. That in our suffering, that, that God is near to us. He is in our suffering. See, hope isn't found in circumstances. Habakkuk's hope is not found in the, the fact that there's coming a day when the fields will flourish. His hope isn't in the fact that, that there's livestock will be restored. No. Why does Habakkuk have hope? Habakkuk has hope because God is good. And Habakkuk has hope because God is holy. Habakkuk has hope because the God who spoke to him is the God who is in control. And the same is true for us today, that the God who speaks, the God that has called us from life to death, the God who has saved us, He is in control, and He has not left us to suffer on our own. In fact, what the Bible tells us is that God has come near to us. That that on this side of the Scriptures, on the, the New Testament side of the Scriptures, what do we see? That we have a God who is Emmanuel. He is God with us. See, our God hasn't abandoned us and our suffering, and we see this most clearly in Jesus Christ. Right, That Jesus has come, and he has experienced every temptation that we have experienced, yet without sin. Jesus has come, and he knows what it means to be hungry, and to be tired, and to feel pain. Jesus knows what it is to be murdered. See, God hasn't forgotten us in our suffering. In fact, he knows exactly what our sufferings feel like because in Jesus Christ, he has experienced all of it. And yet in Jesus Christ, he has also promised that though famine may come, though the livestock may leave, though the fields might not be restored, that in Jesus Christ, we have hope because our God is good, our God is holy, and there is coming a day when he is coming back for us. That that He hasn't left us alone, but that He has promised good for us. So you might not always understand God's plan, but we can always trust that it is good. So we can bring our questions to God and we can trust His plan because He is good. And so maybe this morning, maybe you're a believer and maybe you've got some questions. Maybe this morning, you've got some questions about why is this happening? Or, or why is that happening? Why, why is the Lord letting this happen in my life? Why is the Lord doing this? Well, we'll know this, the God, our God, He's not afraid of your questions. In fact, I think what we can say confidently from the Psalms and from Habakkuk is that the Lord invites us to bring our questions to Him. He's not afraid, He's not intimidated by your questions. But here's the thing. We've got to be willing to hear and to listen and to know and to understand and to be okay with his answers, right? We've got to be willing to be okay with the answer to the question that I am God, you are not, trust me, right? That's faith, right? That's what we're people of faith. That's what we've been called to do. maybe this morning you're not a believer. Maybe this morning you're not a believer and, and you've got some questions, Right? We, I posted a video last week of uh, Nora, our daughter, being baptized, and someone f- from the internet, we'll call him a jabroni, uh, he commented on there, and he said, you don't really believe in that witchcraft, do you? Uh, and I, I wanted to respond, but my wife, who was a cooler head than me, uh, she, I wanted to respond, man, I don't believe this, let me tell you about a dead man who is alive, Amen. right? And so, maybe today, maybe you've got some questions about a dead man who is alive, right? That's Jesus Christ. That's the gospel that that because Jesus is dead, murdered, buried, and risen, we now have life and we have hope. Maybe you've got some questions about how that works. I would love to talk with you about those questions. I don't have all the answers. But here's what my challenge to you would be take those questions to the Father. Pray and ask the Lord, God, reveal yourself to me. Give me eyes to see what you would have me to see. Go to his word and read his word and ask him to reveal himself to you. And just sit back and see what he does. right? Sit back and see how he answers those questions. Maybe you have some questions you're going to talk about today. You can meet us in the next steps room there's people back there right out these doors on the right people back there ready to talk with you you can send a text to 407-338-4024 there's someone on the other end of that line they can set up a, a time for for us to talk a little bit more about whatever questions you may have but but know this that your questions aren't too hard for god your questions aren't too difficult for the lord to answer So I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing, and and maybe you need to take this time as we pray and we respond. Maybe you need to take this time, and maybe you need to, to pray and to ask the Lord those questions. Maybe you need to pray and you need to ask the Lord, Lord, this is on my heart, because here's the thing, your questions aren't a surprise to God who knows everything, right? You might feel like, well, I can't ask these questions because I don't want to offend the Lord, Well, the Lord already knows, You can take those questions, you can ask those questions and you can trust that he is good and that he is holy and that he is righteous and here's the thing, that he loves you, right? And that he delights to answer the questions of his children. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, thank you that, that though we might not always understand your plan, Father, we can always trust that it is good. So, Lord, I pray this morning that we would rest in that truth and we would rest in the fact that your plan is good. Father, I pray this morning that we would take comfort and hope in the fact that your plan is good because you are good and because you love us. So, Lord, I, I pray for brothers and sisters who are in this room today who, who maybe they're, they're struggling with doubts or maybe they're struggling with what you're doing in their life. Father, I pray that you would bring comfort to their hearts. Father, I pray for maybe that person in here today who is yet to believe. Lord, I, I pray that, that you would work in their heart. gotta pray that you would bring them to faith in you. Lord, we pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.